I'd like for us to look at that passage that John just read from Psalm 34 just for a moment. And um, as you're turning there, maybe, let me ask you this. Why do people love God? If you were to have, you know, if I were to say, okay, take out, take out a piece of paper and a pencil and write down why you love God, what would it be? What's your reason? I think a lot of us would say, well, I love God because he's going to give me a home in heaven. I love God because of what he's going to do for me or what he's done for me. And, and we have all these reasons that, well, at the end of the day, they come back to us. What do you do for me? Well, those are all reasons to love a person, but it's not the highest reason. Listen, when Kim and I mentioned this in Bible class, when, when Kim and I decided to get married and, and I go to talk to her dad about marrying her, and if he were to ask me, why do you want to marry my daughter? Well, I think she can do a lot for me. You know, that's just not going to fly, is it? That, I've got to have a better reason than that. But that's what we do with God. That's manipulation as we see it. But when it comes to God, that's the answer that a lot of people have. I love God because of heaven, I get this and I get that. We need to learn to love God because God is God. Just because he's God. He's great. He's the creator of all things. He is worthy of praise. Regardless of heaven, he's still worthy of praise. And as you look at this passage in Psalm 34, I think it's interesting to note the things that we're encouraged to do. We're encouraged to bless God, to praise Him, to magnify Him, to boast of Him, and to exalt Him. All of those uh, verbs are used in those uh, three verses, bless, praise, magnify, boast, and exalt. And I want us to accept that challenge of doing that. I want us to be a people who bless God, who praise Him, who magnify Him, who boast of Him, and who exalt Him. So this morning, what I want us to look at is, you know, maybe how we can do these things. But let's, before I get there, let me just say one thing. As we began this year, we talked about some things that we wanted to do and accomplish, and the theme that we came up with was a sign for the times. Playing off of the fact that we got a new sign out front, and it's far deeper than that. And it's not a sign of the times, it is a sign for the times, the theme that we selected. And it comes from a statement, really, from Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 27. God used Ezekiel in some really strange ways. Uh, had him do some uh, rather interesting object lessons. He didn't just get up and preach to the people. God used him and his whole body and the way he lived as illustrations. He was a sign to the people. And in Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 27, God tells Ezekiel on another occasion, he said, you will be a sign to them and they shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel was used as a sign, as a living, walking billboard for the Lord. 
so that people would know God is God. I want us as a church to be that billboard. I want God to be able to use us as a sign for the times in which we live. I want us to be, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, concerning the Corinthians in verse 2 and 3, he said, you know, you are an epistle and, and you are read and known by all men. Paul said, that, I, I've converted you, I've taught you the gospel, you've obeyed the gospel, and now you're kind of walking Bibles. And what a lot of people know about God and know about Jesus, they know because you live it out. You are living epistles. People look at you, and they therefore blaspheme or praise and magnify and exalt God. So how can we be this sign? That's what we've talked about. How can we be a sign for the times in which we live? Why? I want to give you three reasons this morning, or three ways that we can go about accomplishing that. There are many ways, but I want to focus on three this morning. Well, here's first thing. <clears throat> if we want to be a sign for the times, we need to engage in meaningful worship. John chapter 4 and verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. To worship God acceptably, we have to have the truth, we have to do the right things, we have to serve the right God, but we have to do it in spirit. We have to engage our inner man. It can't just be rote, it can't be going through the motions, it has to be engaging our hearts, our spirits. And if that's not a part of our worship, if we've already this morning just sat there and sang songs, sang words, and tried to stay on tune, but we didn't pay attention to the words that we sang that that uh, uh, Alan picked out for us, we haven't worshipped acceptably. Um, if during the prayer, if all we did was just try to be quiet and respectful and we didn't engage ourselves in what John led us, and that was a very good prayer, John. I appreciate what you had to say. Um, if you didn't engage yourself in that, you, you haven't worshipped. If you sit and endure, you know, the sermon and, and just refrain from passing notes and you're polite until I get finished, and if that's all you do, you haven't engaged in worship. Worship, if we're to be assigned for the times, we have to have meaningful worship. We have to have a connection between who we are and who he is. If people don't get the connection to God when they come here, they're not going to come here for long. You know, sometimes people leave church and they abandon church and, and they don't have any use for it. And people that don't go to church anymore, they've been surveyed or there have been surveys and say, why, why don't you go to church? Why, why don't you ever do that? And you know what? It's not about, well, they sing old-fashioned songs. They, uh, they're, they're not with it. They, they don't have any technology. They're, they're, it's like stepping back in time when I go to church. It has nothing to do with that. You know what the most common complaint is why people don't go? It's not meaningful. I don't get any connection to God. It's just a ritual that I go through and, and I'm not brought to a connection with God. If that's the problem, we need to fix that. We need to make our worship such that when people come here, they connect with God. 
this is all about God. This is not about what we do. It's not about having money to spend every week that, that is handed over freely by you all so that we can do good things and make a name for ourselves. This is supposed to be a time where we connect with God, where we praise and bless and exalt and magnify and boast about God. And if they miss the connection, um, they don't come back. We can be a sign for the times. We're a people who have a relationship with God. I think I shared this with you one time before, but I'm not sure if I did here or somewhere else. But a number of years ago, I was at a layover in Pittsburgh, and uh, we were to get on the plane, on board the plane, and there was a man who had never flown before. And we're all sitting on the plane. You know how you have to do that, sitting there and waiting. Everybody boards, and we're waiting for everything to get checked, final checks and so forth. One man who had never flown before was uh, invited to look into uh, the, uh, the cockpit. The pilot spoke with him, explained to him things, and, and even gave him one of these little uh, uh, wings, you know, that he could uh, put on his, on his shirt. He was so excited. Before he got, he came out of there with that pilot and headed back through the aisle and, and most everybody's just kind of sitting there looking out the window, just, you know, killing time. Dull, blank looks on everybody's face. This guy has wings and he comes down through that aisle and before he ever gets to where his family's sitting, he says, look, I've got wings. The pilot gave me wings. And he was just talking over. Everybody could hear him. He didn't care. He was excited. And as I thought about that, as we flew on, I thought, here's the difference. We're both on the same plane. But everybody was just kind of dull and straight-faced. But this guy was excited. And the difference is he got to meet the pilots. And we didn't. I think sometimes worship, can be that dull thing we sit through, but it can only be that if you haven't had an encounter with the pilot. If we can engage our spirits when we worship, we will be um, what God wants us to be, and it'll be meaningful. I've heard, do you remember when we used to have record players? And, and if somebody unplugged the record player, it would spin, but it would slowly wind down. And it, you know, it just kind of go like that and stop. Um, when I have literally sat through worship services where I thought that was going to happen to the singing, I thought before we ever get to the end of the song, we're just going to kind of wind down and just come to a stop. Oh, how I love Jesus. You know, we just sound like we really mean it. What That sounds to me like we're going through motions. Can we not be emotional? You know, I love it. You know, when uh, Victoria comes up here, gets her Bible, and we announce amen. You know, that, that's great. We're, we're proud. We're happy for her. Um, this is a joyous occasion. We need to express our joy. In every aspect of life, we express our joy. Don't leave it at home. There's way 
there's a way to express our joy here that is both respectful and honoring God. We need to do that. If we want to be a sign for people, let them see that we have a connection to God. Let me give you another thing. And that is, we need to make Jesus known to people. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, We're like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. You know, when we would go home, my my parents live in Chester, West Virginia, and uh, traveling consisted, when I grew up, of going up and down the river. That's, That's the way people talk. Well, going down the river tomorrow. I'm going up the river tomorrow. And, and as we're going up the river for a ways, because we live right on the Ohio River, you would look off in a distance about 15 miles, and you can look ahead and you can see on the side of a hill a city. And always the kids, you know, they'd be anxious. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so when we get to this place, I'd say, you see those lights up there? That's right across the river from Grandma and Granddad's house. We're almost there. We would do that every time. You can't hide a city that is set on a hill. The lights give it away. If we want to be a sign for the times, if we want to be God's walking billboards, we need to point people to Jesus. Don't let your friends wonder if you're a Christian or not. Don't have them be surprised to learn that you go to church, that you're faithful. We need to let people know that we're a Christian. And I'm telling you, when you look at Jesus, and when we are able to point our friends to Jesus, he'll change their life. We sing a song in our songbooks, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't have to have all the right words. If I can just point people to Jesus, he does. And his attractiveness is compelling. Let's be a people who point people to Jesus. You know, the Olympics just took place. Every Olympic Games has some guys that just kind of, you know, I, I, I get illustrations from... And in this last Olympic game, you know the diving, how when they, they can jump 30 feet up and hit that water and make a ripple that is just, you know, it doesn't even hardly move the, the water. It's amazing what they can do. Stefan, uh, Stefan Fleck, a German diver this year, I don't know if you saw this or not, but he got on that springboard and he jumped up. And he did three and a half flips. But when he went in the water, instead of doing what most divers do and just barely just rip the water, he landed on his back, flat on his back. It was a belly flop only on his back. An Olympic diver. If you're doing Olympic diving, you don't want to make a splash. If you're doing Christianity, you want to be a cannonballer. You you, you want to make a splash. You want to make ripples. And as we live our life, we want to affect people, and we want to wake that water and that pool for as long as it'll, it'll wake. Because 
that's how people get to know. And that's what our friends, friendship day is about. In three weeks, the reason we do this is we want to make a wake. We want a ripple sent out in this community. We want people to focus their eyes on us. We want the community to be a buzz about who we are and what we're doing. We want people to come here and go away and say, man, have you ever heard such singing? That's great. They didn't even have instruments. We want people to talk about us. We want people to magnify Jesus. We want the church to be bigger and to be easier easier seen or more easily seen than it was before. That's the purpose of this day. So again, I encourage you, invite folks because um, that's the purpose. We want to make a splash. We want to be heard and seen. We don't want to exist in obscurity in this community. It's funny, too, how um, things get known. Uh, when I was in college, well, when I was a boy growing up, we would play a game. We would take a football, throw it up in the air, and whoever caught it would run with it any direction. And whoever could stay, and then everybody else is after them. And, and you see how long you could stay up before you got tackled. When you got tackled, then you just threw the ball up, and whoever caught it again, they would run and see how long they could stay up before they were tackled. We called that game Throw Up and Smear. Um, Kim, the first time she heard that, she said, now that's just disgusting. She had the wrong image in mind. We were talking about throwing a football up in the air, but she didn't catch that. But anyway, so I go to college, and some guy from Mississippi said, y'all want to play Throw Up and Smear? It's like, how do you know what Throw Up? I thought we invented that name. And, and people, and guys from all over the country said, yeah, let's do that. And they knew, how do things get started and spread across the country and everybody knows about it? We can do that with everything. And if we can do it with urban legends and jokes, how do jokes get created and everybody automatically all around the world knows these jokes? Because people talk about them. How do people know about Jesus? Well, they don't unless we make him known. Let's be as excited to tell people about Jesus as we are the latest, funniest, cutest joke, picture, or whatever else you might find. And then let me just say this, and this will be the last point. If we want to magnify Jesus, be a sign for the times, how about let's set out to do this. Let's reclaim those who were once saved. You've been here a lot longer than I have, most of you. And you probably can remember people that filled some of these pews that don't fill these pews anymore. We have an opportunity in three weeks, an excuse, if you will, to say, hey, why don't you come back and just visit with us? We're having a friendship day. Would you come? They already have a connection to the church because they once were members of it. And if you explain to them what's going on and really encourage them, they may come back, and you know what? You may reclaim them. They may come here and uh, really not know what to expect, but what they receive is love and the spirit of love and the worship that takes place 
the friendship, the camaraderie, the fellowship. That may be what's absent in their life, and they may rethink the choices that they've made that take them to where they are right now. When's the last time that we have accepted a challenge, a dedicated effort to reach out to those who were once here? Can we do that? Can we reach out? Can you look around and think of people that are no longer here, that were once here? Will you make a special effort? Invite your friends. Invite your family, your mom and dad living off somewhere, your children living off somewhere. Invite them. Invite your co-workers. Invite your fellow Christians at other congregations. But invite those who are unfaithful, who used to be saved, and they've just gone wayward. Can we accept that challenge? Let's reach out to those. And I'll tell you, if, if I'm one of those people, and I got an invitation from you, and an invitation from you, and an invitation from you, I might say, I wonder what's going on down there. That I've gotten three invitations, I think I, I, think I will go and just, just see. In fact, didn't we talk about last week? Come and see. That's what we want from people. Just come and see. That's all you have to say. James 5, verses 19 through 20 says that if we can turn a sinner from his way, we've saved a soul from death. Let's be about that. And don't you know that when we do, we magnify and we praise God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7 that there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents more so than even when 99 just persons who need no repentance. Let's magnify the Lord. Psalms 34 gives us a great challenge the psalmist gave us. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bless him. I want you to praise him. I want you to magnify him. Make him bigger than life. I want you to boast of him. And I want you to lift him up, exalt him. That's what we should be doing all the time. But in particular, that's what I want us to do in three weeks. And as we look at our theme for the year, how can I be a sign for the times? Right now, we're looking at a great open door, an opportunity to do just that. Talk to people about Jesus Brag about him. Share him. Say, come and see. Reach out to those that God loves more than anything, enough that he would give his son for, who are wayward. Reach out to them and say, come and see. That'll honor God, and that'll lift him high. Revelation 4 and verse 11, why should you love God? Not because of what he'll do for you. Because of just who he is. Listen, if you love God because of who he is and you want to be and wear the honor of being his child, being a part of his family, that can happen today. You can be honored by being able to say, I am a child of God. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ upon your faith in Jesus, willing to turn away from your sins, that's what you need to do. Turn from your sin, 
submit to baptism, and God will keep his promise and forgive you. If you haven't done that already, we, we encourage you to do that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you haven't been living up to those challenges to bless, praise, magnify, boast, and exalt the God of heaven. And you want to recommit yourself to that. We'll pray with you this morning that you're able to do that more faithfully if you'll come as we stand together and sing.